0: Welcome to the Biz Design Enterprise Architecture Podcast. I'm your host, Will Hardison, and in these podcasts, we talk to leaders in the areas of enterprise architecture and how they and their teams deliver value to their organizations to advance strategy, optimize operations, and reduce and manage risks. Now, let's get down to business. Welcome back to the Enterprise Architecture Podcast produced by BizDesign. I'm your host, Will Hardison, one of the marketing managers here at BizDesign. And today I have Mary Stevens as my guest. Mary is the technology architect for technology services at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. How are you today, Mary?
1: I'm good, Will, thanks.
0: Uh, Thank you for joining. I know that you've got a very interesting story and we've not really covered on the podcast yet uh, the higher ed space, Um, but I know that it it has its own challenges like every industry. But uh, if you're not in the higher ed space, do not jump off of the podcast because I do think uh, what Mary is going to talk about today of just kind of overcoming challenges Um, and showing value is something that we all face, right, in our own industries, in our own careers, job roles. Um, So there may be some slant to higher ed, but certainly some applications that we can all take forward uh, in our own careers and industries. Um, So Mary, if you don't mind, kind of tell everybody a little bit about you and, and how you arrived at being at the University of Illinois.
1: Yeah. So I actually joined the University of Illinois 26 years ago, And I came in working at what we would consider the edge, right? I was doing end user support. I was taking care of desktops. I was managing Unix servers and all the fun that went along with that, running web servers at the time and mail servers and all of those fun things. Um, And then I had worked in industry prior to that. It was right when firewalls were really starting to come in to being a thing. And uh, the university at that time didn't have a firewall, but I had worked outside at another company and help them implement a firewall. And so one of the people in networking reached out to me, they knew I had done that. And they said, hey, you worked on this over there, would you would you like to come and work with us and help us put a firewall between the university and the rest of the world? Which was a big conceptual leap for a higher ed institution at that time, right? Um, and so I worked part-time on the edge still doing Unix support and I worked part-time working to kind of design how we would put firewalls between the university and everything else. Eventually I moved full-time over into networking and I worked my way up through networking till I was eventually over, you know, kind of the director of networking. And then I took another step up to being over infrastructure, which included all the fun things like um the copper and fiber infrastructure for the university, our, you know, how our security cameras were placed and all of that sort of stuff, our data centers and our virtualization farms in addition to networking and all that fun stuff. So I've kind of grown and and my scope increased, my technical expertise maybe has decreased over the years. Um, But being a director over that much stuff, you're always on call. Um, There's always something happening. And so then I got the opportunity, I wasn't doing as much strategy as I wanted. I had started an MBA and I was really intrigued by that intersection of business and technology and how do you use business principles to better deliver technology. Um, and I wasn't getting to do that on being on the operation side. And one of our CIOs offered me the opportunity to move over into being an architect position and doing more strategy. And it was very appealing to to lay down some of those operational things and go to strategy. And so that's kind of how I wound up being an architect.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was I was gonna say right before you went into you were always on call. My comment was gonna be, well, I know who to call if something goes down, but then you went into that. And I was like, well, maybe not, maybe I shouldn't call her, but I know how it feels because you know, my parents, all their friends know that I can, you know, set up surround sound and cameras and all that. And it's like I'm the first one that people call. Uh so I totally understand. Moving away from that into more of the the strategy role. Um, So it sounds like you've done quite a lot over your 26 year tenure at the university. So you've moved into the technology architect role. Now I know that that probably, again, today's topic is some of the challenges that you have faced um, over the years. And the first one I want to tackle is, is the idea that architecture is seen as the no police. How have you been able to shift that mindset uh, on campus?
1: Yes, I think it's, you're trying to build up relationships with people and it's not going in and saying, this is what you will or won't do. It's approaching them and saying, what is your challenge? What, what, what is difficult now? Or what would you like to accomplish? And how do we, how do we build a solution together to address that? And it's really bringing some of those business skills in um, because I think a lot of the challenges come out of the business side of the house, but also bringing in some of those tools, which maybe we didn't always use before as technologists of understanding what our customer experience is. so using things like customer journey maps. And even if you're not getting into big detail on them, at least understanding the fact that your customer does have a journey <laughs> in, yeah. with your organization, right? Um, and so I really think, you know, it's that sitting down and talking with people at all levels of the organization and understanding what what is their frustration, what is their problem, and how do we, you know, if we fix it over here, how do we not make a perturbation over here that makes someone else's job harder? Sure. Right. Um, I think in higher ed, we tended to be very siloed. And so maybe we made a solution that worked really well for this team, but now all of a sudden that increased the workload on another team. And, and so being able to bring together people across groups and talk through things is also helpful. Um, and, and being at the university as long as I as I have been, one of the benefits of that and one of the benefits of being in the groups I was in is I know a lot of people, right? So having those discussions is a little bit easier because it's yeah. like, oh, I know this person. I can just call them you up for coffee or something. You build that rapport
0: with everyone so you can bring them to the table right. for the yeah. right conversations. Now, that makes a lot of sense. Um I mean, what are some of the examples uh, that you've implemented, um, you know, where people have maybe said no at first, but then sort of over time shifted their mindset?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, really, we've tried not to position the architecture practice, and I think it's it's not unique to us that there have been different instantiations of architecture over time. And some of those early instantiations were, we have these strict standards, and if you don't meet them, this is where things go to die, right? And what I've been trying to build as architecture is more of that in-house consultant where it's how do you you want to do this? Let's talk about well what are our standards? Where are we trying to go and how does it align with that? It doesn't say no, it's impossible. It's like if you do that, here's the technical debt we're going to we're going to incur. Here's how it isn't going to align with our business practices. You know, how does that all work together? As opposed to, you know, having this checklist, you know, the 30 page, did you do this? Did you do this? Yeah, that's not fun. And that's that's not really architecture. In my way of thinking, that's, I don't know what that is, right? That, that's <laughs> some sort of governance feature.
0: There you go. Yeah, that's not really cohesively working together or coming up with strategies and solutions, right? That match the strategy of the business, but then also the strategy of the department to where someone can bring an idea where you're just not like, no, that doesn't line up. So we're just going to, you know, not do that. It's okay. Well, how can we work a little bit better together to achieve uh, a common goal that makes sense for everyone in the end?
1: Right. And I think, I think the other thing that's important when you, when you have those discussions is there's also a reality that, you know, we can have these lofty standards and best practices. But there's also what we can purchase, either what's actually technically available or what we can afford to purchase. Sure. And so there's there's that balancing of what do we want to do, what can we actually buy or build, and then what can we afford? And that's where, as architects, we can help bring those different concerns to the table, right, right? And so, yeah, we might start start out with something that's very lofty. And then at the end, we're like, okay, yeah, this is what we can do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I want my car to perform like a Lamborghini, but I can't afford a Lamborghini. So you have to <laughs> meet in the middle and, and do what you can do. Right. So,
1: well, and you might not even have a team of mechanics to keep your Lamborghini on the road. That's, right. <laughs> that's true.
0: Very true. You also need a good support team to make sure that that car can stay on the road. Right. Um, Okay, so you've been at the university for 26 years, but that's a little bit uncommon in higher ed. So I know that, you know, just when, as we were preparing for the episode, one of the other challenges has been, uh, which is an industry thing, I believe, has been high turnover at, at a leadership level. Can you kind of walk us through, um, and I know COVID didn't really help that either, but kind of walk through sort of a timeline of uh, turnover for the university and how you've been able to handle that?
1: Yeah, so so I work within a group that reports to the CIO, and then the CIO, of course, has a boss, and that boss has a boss, right? And so since I've become a technology architect, there was the CIO that I came in under, and he left, so then we had an interim And then that interim left and we had another interim and then we finally a little bit over a year ago got a permanent cio well about the time that the permanent cio came in the cio's boss left right and what's sort of typical in higher ed is when you bring in someone new like a cio they go on kind of this listening tour and they figure out the you know where the campus is and where does the campus need to go and so you know, with each one of those transitions, it was, am I a station keeper? Am I being asked to change and do something? Um, And, you know, when when a CIO comes in, they're trying to figure out what is the most important thing to tackle. And if their boss changes, it's like, well, what do I change, right? And so as an architecture practice, it's like, well, how do I help navigate this? How do I help position what my practice is and how it can help that person do their job? Because I guess my philosophy is, I'm here to help make my boss successful. That's right. Right. As an architect, right? The the little pretty drawings or the views or any of the other things that I do, in and of themselves aren't the goal. It's the how do we make the organization more successful? And if the organization is more successful, then my boss is seen as being successful. And so it really is when you get a new boss, how do you show them what you've done in the past? How do you convey to them what your vision is for your practice? Because it could be that you were doing something that aligned with that boss, but you see a greater thing, right? You're like, here's this gap that we can step in. And so sometimes change is an opportunity. And sometimes it's a, oh my gosh, now I have to drop everything and you know change totally what it is that I'm doing.
0: Now, this, so, that's a great way to look at it because change can certainly be an opportunity. But then also, I'm sure there's probably some frustration in a start-stop. Right. So I feel like with that many changes, you probably got down the road and you had a a CIO that was bought in, had a strategy, cool, like bought in, we're good, like we've got the budget to do this moving forward. Then all of a sudden, either their boss or they themselves leave, and then you kind of have to start all over. But it sounds like you've done a really good job. Of when a new CIO comes in, showing the value and kind of the roadmap as to where you are taking and want to take uh, the university, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that you know you have to you have to use your architecture tools on your own practice and doing things like having a good elevator speech, so that like that first time you meet the CIO, it's like this is who I am, this is what I do, and here's how I can help you, right? right. And leaving it at that because they are being bombarded at that point by, you know, everybody else, right? But then be, leaving some collateral, whether it's a briefing book, whether it's like, here's what we've done, you know. And sometimes it'll take them two, three months to get back to you, right? And and you kind of station keep at that point. And you're like, okay, what do I do that? How am I providing people? Because you're providing value to people beyond the CIO. So you're still engaged in those projects and you're still working with those folks and you're still – developing those relationships and sometimes one of the most valuable things you can do with a cio is saying here's the three people you should talk to about this right or here's the person that might be your biggest attractor, and here here's how you might strategize to go talk to that person or here's some information before you go into this meeting that may that might help you as you go into that meeting
0: we'll get back to my conversation with mary in just a minute but first, I'd like to take 10 seconds to tell you that the Biz Design podcast is just the tip of the sword when it comes to great content around enterprise architecture produced by Biz Design. Our website is loaded with blogs, guides, webinars, case studies, and much more to keep you well informed and to be honest with you, very busy reading about our industry. To explore, just visit bizdesign.com and click on the resources tab in the main menu. Now, Back to my conversation with Mary. Now you mentioned something uh, their briefing books, which is something we kind of talked about preparing for this uh, podcast. Can you explain what that is and like your approach as to what goes into that?
1: So it, it it really started maybe several CIOs ago, and even when I was in a director of networking position of being able to tell them what was networking. Why was it important to the organization, right? What do you need to know about networking? What are our biggest challenges that we see on the horizon? And what are our biggest successes? And maybe what are our big things that are in flight, right? Um, And they're really intended to give them that here you can sit down and in half an hour, maybe come up to speed, and then let's have a discussion to further flush some of these things out. Kind of same thing with architecture, you know, what is the practice now and what could it be? But mainly conveying that idea of, I'm here to help you, I'm you know, so here's, here's some of the resources that I have. But if you have a question, let me know, because I, I probably know somebody, right, as, as those relationships are one of the key currencies.
0: So it's like do. a little bit of a resource guide meets somewhat of a case study of here's the right. challenge we've identified, here's the strategies we've started to implement, Here's the people involved in this project, maybe some top like questions people generally ask and answers to them. So it's really just kind of like a, a, a little bit of a playbook that you're handing mm-hmm. the CIO. And, and, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah.
1: And, and, and remembering, too, who's your audience, right? If it's a CIO, you probably want an executive summary. Yep. And then some CIO, you know, because the other thing, too, is when you're making a briefing book, you may not know what that person's style is. And so you've got to go into that. Let's have the high-level executive summary. Let's have some pretty simple diagrams, right? But then there are some CIOs that come out of the engineering field, and they want to dig down into the details. So, you know, when I was in MBA school, those were all appendix slides in our PowerPoints, right? So that if someone asks a question, you're like, hey, great, I'm glad you asked that. Let me flip, flip to this appendix. And kind of the same thing in the briefing book of, you know, that first page They should get a really good gist of what it is that you're talking about. And if they don't go beyond that, you can then have a great discussion. But if they're the person who wants to dig into details, you've got more details farther down into them. And, and, And it's a learning process. Anytime someone new comes in that's your boss, it's what do they like? Do they like colorful diagrams? Do they want no more than eight elements? Or are they someone that really geeks out on the super complicated thing that, you know, as architects, it's really easy to get into. Let's let's make this really complicated and get every piece of information on there. But you know, my experience has been most CIOs don't want that.
0: Yeah, I, and I think I mean I can certainly relate, having had multiple you know uh, different jobs and different bosses, and you know your chief marketing officer. Some want all the way down into the weeds and some want just that executive high level like tell me the story right like i love numbers but also tell me the story behind these numbers and paint the picture for me so then if anybody asks me i can easily as a cmo i can easily have that answer kind of more of in a storytelling format and know the the broader scope of everything right so it's just finding the balance of you know how each person either leads or wants information
1: and I think, it, you know, especially when you're working with someone new, it's always good to follow up and say, can you provide me any feedback? What did you yep. find useful or what would you like to see more of? Right. Um, because some people are really good at it and some people will wait until you ask them for feedback. And so, yep. you know, that's part of evolving our practice of saying, hey, how did I do? Right. And And help me help you.
0: That's right. That's a great approach. All right, final challenge. Uh, the idea that innovation occurs at the edge and stays there. So, how do you push? I mean, I'll use the word progressive, but how do you push a progressive agenda forward when kind of you know innovation really sits on the outside? How do you get that baked into the culture of the you know of the organization?
1: Yeah, that's it's a hard one, and I think yeah we struggle with it regularly, honestly. Um, because innovation does happen at the edge, and then the I think it's trying to keep those communication lines open, trying to understand what customer needs are, and and you know it bubbles up that hey these people are doing this and people really like it, and then you kind of you know maybe it's right you know bringing that issue up with your CIO or with other leadership and saying hey you know here's this thing these people are doing it what would it mean to scale it to a campus wide solution in sure. our in our instance right. Or is that something that we think is going to stay at the edge, right? And you know, are they providing it for themselves and maybe one or two other folks? So, working in a central IT thing, it's that is this something that we think is going to get legs and need to scale to everybody, or is this something that maybe is more of a niche solution? And you know, is it something that we support from the side where someone is still providing it? Um, but it comes down to how does how does the organization kind of get this intelligence? What are those, having those discussions of, Hey, what, what are you guys doing? That's cool. Right. And maybe those are coffee conversations that you just happen to have, you know, from COVID we're not in the office maybe as much as we used to be, you know, where you hear somebody in the hall talking about something interesting. You're like, what, what, what are you guys doing? That's really cool. You got to, maybe you have to engineer them a little bit more where you're like, Hey, let's have a zoom coffee together. Right. What are you doing? That's cool. Um, and so I think that's, how do you how do you find out about what's innovative? And then how do you kind of put that on that radar? And, and sometimes it's reading about what your peers are doing. Sometimes, of course, then you're gonna be lagging, right? Um, but you know, like AI right now, it's a huge thing, right? And everybody's talking about AI. How do you deal with it? You know, how do you do, you know, and there's so many dimensions to it, you know, like at a higher ed, it's like, how do you teach people to use it ethically and not yep. you know essentially yeah. plagiarize, right? But there's also a lot of tools that we use now have AI built into it. And from a security and privacy perspective, maybe we've got questions about, well, how are they using our data from this tool? You know, Is there information about our company that's leaking out because we're using this tool that has AI? What are those questions we need to be asking our vendors? Um, how much of it should we buy versus build, right? All of those sorts of questions. So right now it's, How do we have these conversations in a way that we don't splinter into a million factions having these conversations? But at the same time, we're saying, let's embrace this stuff and let's use it for better.
0: So I believe that I have a little bit of a theme that I've picked up uh, over these challenges. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the theme that I've kind of pulled out is it's about people right? So it is about managing people, expectations, bringing the right people to the table to have those conversations, um, building relationships with people. Like as you were kind of talking about the innovation, I I went back to the, the no police challenge of just talking with people and building those relationships and getting the right people to the table to bring those ideas out and maybe you know, across departments, somebody goes, "Man, that's really awesome that you guys are doing that. My team could benefit from that." But if we keep everybody in these silos, and I know COVID's tough, and and like has kind of put more silos probably than than helped. Um, but just having open communication, working with people, making sure everyone's aligned. Um, just sort of is the thing that kind of sticks out to me based on all of your experiences and answers to
1: the challenges. Yeah, I think that's that's very, very on point. I think the other thing too is like, if architecture is seen as the no police, people aren't going to want to come to you when they innovate. They're going to, yep. we, we have the phrase, run until you're caught, right? <laughs> and people are going to do that. And you're going to have that infrastructure, you're going to have technology that's being done underneath somebody's desk somewhere because they didn't want somebody to tell them no. They're trying to do their job. As an architect, one of the things I really respect and admire is that people are trying to do their job in a way that is efficient and delivers good value to their customers. And if they see architecture as impeding that, they're not going to come and talk to us. Sure. And so, you know, there again, we're trying to help them do their job better. And I think that's where some things like standards and best practices are really helpful because we can say to people, if you're designing a solution, here are the things that you have to do, right? So for higher ed, one of our big things is accessibility. Our solutions, we want them to be accessible for all of our students and faculty and staff. And so, you know, if we try to purchase a solution that isn't accessible, right? That's one of the things that we really look at hard and that's not my area of expertise there are people whose area of expertise that is but I would say accessibility really is a standard at the university a lot of our other things are maybe best practices where we're like you know here here's how we would suggest you do this if yep. you step outside of those best practices then we're talking about technical debt or we're talking about inefficiencies right And so when you're talking about innovation at the edge, if you have those things like standards and best practices, then people can innovate and say it might not meet a standard or best practice. But right now we're playing. It doesn't have to. But I know as I look at it, here's how it has to evolve.
0: It has to pass those layers of best practice standards right before it can kind of be baked into something. No, that's really good to kind of I mean, have those guardrails right to where not everybody can just go. Get ideas all over the place, and then it's the wild, wild west, right? So you kind of have those guardrails in place. That if this is going to move forward, we do know it's going to have to pass, you know, A, B, and C, you know, tests, right?
1: I like to think of it as bumper bowling. There you I go. Don't know if that, if that <laughs> translates to outside of the U.S., but in the U.S., there's bowling lanes, and they when you have kids, they can inflate these little bumpers and alleys. And as long as you stay between those bumpers, you know— <laughs> Architecture doesn't, you know, we're, we're telling you, here's here's your clear path forward, right? We're not going to slow you down. But if you think you're going to go up and over that bumper and somewhere else, let's have a discussion about what yep. does that mean for the organization? And it could be that that is the right thing to do. That doesn't mean it's no.
0: Yeah. And sometimes I love that analogy because, you know, and I have two little kids, so I, we take them bowling all the time. But yeah, I mean, they just sling it down there and it's kind of like, okay, well, if you get off the rails, then boom, you hit the bumper and you're kind of back. But at the end, sometimes you can get through all of the bumpers and you knock all the pins down and it's a home run. But sometimes, you know, you get to the end and you get two. So but at least you didn't go all the way over into another lane and into the gutter and then didn't hit any of the pins down. So it at least keeps you on track uh, to be productive in the end somehow.
1: Yeah. Well, and like I said, sometimes it might be that you need to get over that bumper. Right. That might be that next great thing, yep, right? And that is a great discussion to have too, right? It It's, um, I can't remember which book I was reading. It was probably a Simon Sinek book where he talked about, you know, you look at things and people immediately throw out the outliers. And sometimes those outliers are the things that you actually have to pay attention to. And so I think as architects, it's like, you know, if you stay between these bumpers, Run fast, run far, innovate, right? If you're going to be outside of those, let's have that interesting discussion about why is it outside of this? And is it something that we need to be aware of that our standard needs to change or our best practice needs to change? Or does this really not align with where the organization is going? And there's a whole universe of possibilities in there. But those standards and best practices let people run fast and
0: far. Absolutely. No, that makes perfect sense. So we have a few minutes left. I've got one kind of bonus question for you, um, just kind of outside of the challenges that we've talked about, but how do you define value? I mean, I know that that is a big topic in, in the enterprise architecture space of defining value. How do you prove value, etc.? So how have you um, been able to do that at the university?
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of times, and, and this comes from my MBA days, you can talk about things in terms of value, you can talk about things in terms of cost, right? And sometimes as managers, we get very focused on the cost of things. Yep. And I think one of the things that when you take a step back and you're and you're at the strategy level, it's nice because you get to talk about the value. What is it that this is delivering to our end customers? You know, and so if you look at like higher ed, you can talk about things like how would this improve graduation rates, you know, how could we use data to help improve graduation rates? How would we use data to improve the freshman experience, right? And it's not always about cost, right? In fact, in higher ed, sometimes it's hard to do a return on investment, right? It's one of those things that when you're in government or you're in, you know, a nonprofit, we tend to shy away from some of those business terms and it might even be very hard to calculate but we can say if we had more insight into the customer journey, right, could we improve that experience? And, and what do we mean by improve? Is it a better graduation rate? Is it higher satisfaction, like when you talk to them about their food or their housing or just how they enjoy their class experience? Right. And so I think it's it's trying to switch necessarily from a dollars and cents view of the world, even though that's important and CIOs are going to want to see that. Yep. But what are those values that we're trying to do? And I think, you know, when you use tools where you can layer on not just a technical drawing, but you can talk about things like what are our goals? What are our drivers? We can layer budget information on top of different things that then, when the CIO is trying to look at those different things, you can look at, you can produce different views for different questions or different parts of the the cycle, right? There might be parts where they really do care about how does everything roll up in a cost sense, yep. but there are other things about how does it align to university strategic goals? How does it align to our own organizational strategic goals? How do those things fit together? How are the projects we're going to tackle aligned to those?
0: I think that's very interesting because I also kind of have that like more thinking it of it like a business mindset, because if you're trying to increase uh, or improve graduation graduation rates, uh, you can go all the way back to, OK, that can be so many layers deep. That could be starting with the application process. Right. So if okay. if If a senior or junior in high school is applying, but it takes the admissions team, you know, eight months to get back, well, that student, and maybe that's a, I forget what the GPA is now, it's all changed now, but let's say they're a straight A student and got awesome SAT scores and they'd be a wonderful student at the university, but that student has already decided to go elsewhere because it took, you know, forever to get back. Well, then that might actually be one of the root causes of, you know, poor graduation rates because we're not getting the best of breed because we're not getting back fast enough. And so it all like the fascinating thing to me is it all can kind of interlink and go all the way back to a starting point. Um, and if you could put like a use case or a, uh, you know, a, a briefing book around that of just, hey, we, we implemented this change at the emissions level and here's what happened after that which then we saw a 30% increase in graduation rates, I feel like that would be a home run to be able to go to the leadership team and say, this is what we did, this is how it improved, and this is the outcome.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I focus more on the technology side and and there are lots of great people who work in admissions, but yeah, I think having that business, you know, there again, how do you do processes? How do you do value streams? How do you represent that customer journey map? And how do you actually engage with those customers to understand, you know, why they would choose a product over another, right? And and being able to model those things out and, and look at them through those different lenses, you know. And, and as architects, we have lots of tools, right? Some of them are diagramming tools. Some of them are pretty things where we create, you know, a beautiful diagram, right? But I think the beauty of a model is you can embed data in a model and then you can start pulling out these different views and you can even do what ifs, right? You can, you can do kind of that digital twinning of, well, what is, what is the current state? What's the future state? What do you expect it to do? Yep. I wouldn't say it's impossible to do in a diagramming tool, but it's a lot of extra work, right? And it's, it's really nice to be able to go in and, and clone something and say, okay, well, you know what's how do we change it? How do we do this? what You know, that what if, and then going back and, and talking to people there, again, creating the right views for the right people. Because if you're talking to a business person, they don't want to see all, how all the technical bits are put together. That's they correct. might want to see how our values align or how we're trying to achieve this particular goal and maybe at a high level, what project's go to achieving that goal and then using data repositories outside of our architecture tools you know we probably have project management repositories to where you know can we can we provide a link off of a dashboard to data in another tool or at least link off to that other tool you know how yeah. do we make it easy for people to consume this data where you know we're tying these different silos of data together to help create a more coherent picture
0: no, oh, that's that makes complete sense, and I'm sure very beneficial and helpful, not in only in higher ed, but across all industries out there. Um, Mary, thank you so much. I, this has been such a wonderful episode. Just learning how you've overcome some of the top challenges in higher ed, which again, I think, just span probably a lot of other people's challenges, if I'm honest. So um, I'm sure our listeners found a lot of value in today's episode um, from you and your experience. So I really appreciate you coming on and joining today and talking with us.
1: All right. Well, well, thanks. I had a great time.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. As always, we will see you again in a future state. Thanks for listening to the Enterprise Architecture Podcast produced by BizDesign. Now, I have a favor to ask. If you enjoyed today's episode or if you're an overall fan of the show, can I ask that you leave a positive review wherever you tune in to listen? Whether it's Apple, Spotify, or another platform, I would greatly appreciate it. And as always, if you want to be on the show or have a guest that you'd like to submit, please email podcast at bizdesign.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in a future state.